doing that, I was face to face with it. It was holding me by my throat. And it felt like it was sucking something out of me. I probably should have been more scared than I was when I witnessed the exorcism. I turned and looked on my right side. When I did, there's, there's a beam on the side of the tree, a large beam. It's looking at me and I'm looking at it. After I hit the lock button and looked back up, I saw red eyes staring back at me. That they're going to show multiple gods all over the earth, be able to speak in people's languages. And at that point, it kind of converge into this one entity, which will be revealed as extraterrestrial. You'll realize that aliens are the gods of old. And at that point, it'll like religion out of the context of humanity. No, it couldn't have been a person. I know that. I know that people can't run through the woods like that. So this thing comes into view, and I see it. It's 50 yards away from me. It's walking. It's walking on two legs. It's huge. This is a big, hairy-looking being. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I'm probably not too far off on that, am I? Uh, no, no. Strangely enough, no, you're not. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, it, it kind of puts things into perspective for for people that go through life and they they feel like they've really accomplished something on a on a day where they you know went to work and they produced uh, more more than they needed to, or um, they had a they had an overly uh, successful meeting um you're you're doing some stuff that is crazy it's 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 like real it's it's not something that's uh, quantifiable by whether your boss thinks you're you're doing a good job or not no you that's are, a fact yeah you are going and you're you're finding um 
things that have been buried for millennia. What is that like for you? I mean, how did you, how did this even, how did this even get on your radar? Well, I guess that's a two part question. So to give some clarity on, on the whole thing. So it, it might sound glamorous and I do it. I know it does me go the description, but with, with everything that shines is, is tarnished. that needs to be cleaned, I guess. So, you know, um, for each glory moment, there's eight or 10 that are much less glorious that goes without being seen, you know, and that's where the effort to all this comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that also ties into, you know, how I got into that. Um, I wanted to ex- express as much interest as a child as I do effort as an adult and couldn't find avenues with which to, to gain these truths and understandings as a child. So even though I had the curiosity developed at a really, really young age, I mean, six, seven years old, um, I've, I've always been involved, uh, like, you know, without my will since childhood with a lot of paranormal things from, um, you know, off-world entities or spirits or whatever. But, and, uh, and, and as well, I, in the early uh, 70s, there was a lot of talk and things were a lot more open than they are now about the, a lot of the enig- enigmas. We just didn't have the information and uh, boots in the ground, so to speak, mm-hmm. back then. But then they kind of buried that, and I noticed that happen as a child. And that f- that fueled a flame that was already there to not just discover truth, but then, of course, to share it, because I knew my entire world vision was skewed. I knew that from a very, very young age, um, because we weren't in the know with what was real, because obviously there was too many things that didn't fit the puzzle. Um, maybe if there's one piece that doesn't fit, it was a misprint. But when you have so many pieces that don't fit, you can't even reliably put a puzzle together. And and so, you know, I, I wanted to know as a child, and, and the most glorious and wondrous things, the things that we make movies about and we conceive into our sci-fi and whatnot, there are realities to these things in our existence, but they're not being shown. And, and they obviously Absolutely. were trying to create a contingent historical base and, and um, even zoological base, whatever, but they, they try to create this with no gaps when not only obviously is there massive gaps, um, but, but there's so many pieces that we do have that don't fit into the positions they've left us. And, um, and, and as the years went by, it just grew and grew and grew and it, it grew almost into a, a mental combat situation um, against the disinformation, dishonesty, and, and as well the misunderstanding because, you know, um, I noticed throughout my whole life, people would, they want to know so much and they, and, and so many people are born with this yearning and unending drive to know that mm-hmm. when they're fed <clears throat> a piece or two um, and then directed in, in one direction or another, they'll just run with it. And that's the natural thing to do. You know, you, our ego tends to try to answer every question, even if we don't have the information. So I saw a lot of entities that were steering and driving that just further and further from the truth in every direction possible. Really, any direction that people would pick up on, they would just continue it. And um, and I just noticed that throughout the year. So inevitably, it, it led me into a, a life of questions and discovery. And, um, and I guess when I moved into central Arizona is when I really kicked off and I started doing a lot of hard, hard, um, exploration because there's so much of that country that had remained almost completely unexplored because it's so uh, extreme, I would say, you know, with temperatures and, and areas that literally would kill you for going into yeah. them. Yes. And, um, and I basically went all the places the old time miners either told me you can't go back there 
because you'll die or go back there. You're going to find something because no one else will. And, you know, that's kind of those discoveries in the uh, late 90s really, really hit everything off. So, you know, you touched on something, uh, a couple of things that I wanted to kind of circle back to um, a, a lifelong uh, interest and uh, experiences with what most people would consider supernatural. Yeah. Um, and, and then also with that very quickly, you started to talk about the disinformation and the, uh, the rapid decline of information that's uh, available on, on some of these subjects. And, and I have noticed in, uh, in some of your other interviews and some of your videos, even on YouTube, um, you know, you, you don't, you, you seem to take pleasure in, in being a burr in, uh, a burr in the ass of these people that are trying to, uh, protect us from, uh, the truths. Yeah. And, and I want to, I want to spew on that point is it's not so much. I want to be an adversary. It's, it's, I guess in simplistic terms, they started it, you know, because all I wanted to do is get answers and, and show them. And I immediately ran into uh, interference and that interference was scaled in, in relative to the discoveries. Um, so the larger the discoveries became, the more interference we gained. Um, and I mean, these aren't, you know, people think, Oh, interference, you know, you're shadow banned. And yeah, we are shadow banned. I mean, we're tremendously, I could show anybody blow their mind on what's pulled on us daily, um, online, but these things started long before the internet. Um, you know, some of them are at least one area and research culminating into a, a, a raid with seven of our three-letter agencies at the same time, including the Department of Economic Security and, uh, and Secret Service. I mean, the highest of high, um, NSA uh, and all these. And so... Raiding your premises? Yeah, raiding our digs, you know, our, our project sites. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, even landing in National Guard helicopters. And then, I mean, we used to play with the with the Apaches targeting us every day and flying through and bra- basically breaking the law left and right. And then um, they were witnessed once they took out, you know, like a cliffside, <clears throat> excuse me, they took out a cliffside about 200 foot a cliff, eight foot thick, 22 foot tall, and blew the whole thing up over one of our projects. Um, and people don't think this stuff goes on. And I know there's probably even a lot of vets going, oh yeah, right. Well, you know, you talk to the guys who fly in the black choppers out of Cannon Air Force Base in 95, 96, and, and you know they'll tell you the same thing because that's who we were rolling with. And, right, well, um, let me ask. Let me ask you something real quick on on, yeah. on that specific topic. Um, you know, I've 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 heard you made mention of um, you know YouTube uh, with your subscribers and people being unsubscribed and um, you know views being uh, throttled down and and stuff like that. And you know with YouTube. A lot of times when I hear that, I, I want to think that it's it is an attempt to to thwart this information from getting out. But sometimes I I, I find myself feeling that it's just YouTube um, being pressured into maybe hoping that if they if they cut back on your uh, subscribers and they cut back on your your actual views, um, that you'll get discouraged and just stop using their uh, their format to to try to promote what you're doing yeah and i believe the latter of what you just spoke is is definitely in effect i mean and the reason i can say that is because i do feel that i feel it on a daily basis and the reason is is 
when we had just 1,000 subscribers, let's say, um, within three or four hours, we'd put a video up. We'd get probably 1,400 to 2,000 views. That's with 1,000 subscribers. Mm-hmm. Now we have close to 5,000 subscribers, um, and we'll get maybe 500 views in two weeks. Um, and, you know, our videos before were, you know, they go into 20, 30,000 view range, and now we're just, we're maxed out about 1,400, and that's it. Um, in other words, they just, that's it. And, um, you know, it's when I even doubt, well, and that's, I try to always play the skeptic, especially with myself. So I even doubt that, yeah, there's no throttling occurring and there's no interference occurring or no algorithmic control. But when you have just time after time after time, your subscribers writing in, and you've probably seen them commenting on the live chat that, Hey man, you know, I didn't see this. They, they, I'm unsubscribed again, sure, you know, repeatedly. Yeah. And these guys will say it right in front of everybody. So it's do not you like, think that, do you think that's part of their algorithm yeah. or do you think that they're being pressured by an outside source? Well, both. So you're pressured by an outside source to create a base algorithm. And I don't believe it's as much content based to be honest with you, because I see the same content being chirped in different places, but not by us. And I've had people tell me, man, when I try to share your post, it won't share or they take it down or I've been warned. Um, my fiance was actually warned by Facebook to be removed just for commenting my name. And they sent it to her that that's, yeah, that that's outside (laughs) their standards and they're going to have to suspend her account. So, and all she did was tag my name. That's it. So now it's interesting how they do this. So I believe that once you are labeled basically, at least on, on our end, now I think there's different degrees of this, but once you are labeled, then that's just that. I mean, the algorithm's just going to simply, control what you're doing on a base generalized level. I don't believe it's content specific for sure, because um, regardless of what content we put out, how it's spoken, what it said, it doesn't matter. It receives the same type of, of uh, upending control, you know? So I do think that it's, that it's basically a list. And I think a lot of it these days, um, I don't know. I think recently as of a couple of years ago, it was, based around what they perceived were your political views based on what you looked at and what you shared and not necessarily based on who you are, or your political views. So mm-hmm. um, like us, I mean, I don't necessarily have a political view other than truth. And, and I'm well aware of a lot of the dark scams over the years and the big one that's going on on the people now and have been since the eighties, but I don't talk about it. I don't reveal the secrets. I don't push one way or the other, but I, because of my posts and my viewing history, I could be, considered politically one way or the other. And I, and I think that that is where, where the recent couple of, last couple of years, anyway, interference has come from. Other than that, we've always been on a generalized disinformation, counter disinformation or, or, uh, or the censorship has been in control of what we've been, you know, trying to get out. And, uh, it has been a frustrating realm. So they've, they have discouraged me to a great deal. And I do contemplate often, is this worth it? You know, for 500 or 600 people, to be seeing something that the world is waiting for. And I, when I see huge platforms with millions of viewers asking questions and the, the, the platforms pose questions and then the viewers ask questions and those questions are sometimes what we're answering. That's when it gets frustrating yeah. because it seems like you can bring up the topic. No problem. You can entertain the topic, debate about the topic, say anything you want. But if you go to lay some proof on the table that establishes the reality to a topic, mm-hmm. no way, no way. We don't want that. You know, and so. we see this, we see this a lot with, uh, and, 
and and for our viewers tr- stick with us here because we're, we're going to go into the topics um of what we're talking about that are being uh, shadowed here but um steve Estall out of yeah. uh, out of british columbia yeah he experiences the same thing he's getting um you know less views and and less uh uh, losing subscribers and, and, and the same thing, you know, similar, extremely similar topics. Uh, Dave Polites, um, the same thing. He's always talking about how he's, um, getting people that are saying, Hey, I, I got unsubscribed. Did you do this to me? <laughs> you know, why, why is this happening? Well, what I've noticed uh, about like, at least with Steve's platform is that may be occurring, but he's his growth, potential growth rate isn't, um, so they they do that to some degree to the to everybody like I said kind of a generalized algorithmic control, mm-hmm. um, but since he's not ans- he's posing questions and he's not answering questions, he's still able to spread at an exponential rate on YouTube. And but if be- you, if you look at what he does though, I mean, he he reads an awful lot of emails, and, right. and I will say that you know probably by and large many of the emails that he reads are from genuine experiencers. Right. Um, that's not to say that there isn't somebody that sneaks past and, and gets one by him that m- might be, you know, fabricated. And I think we, at least in this topic, you, you deal with that uh, quite a bit on, on whatever level. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and you know, like with Dave, with the, uh, the missing 411 stuff, um, the same thing. You talk about providing these answers, and and that's where the issue is. When you you can talk about the subject, you can entertain the subject, you can you can skirt all the way around it. But as soon as you start laying down some proof, right? That's yeah. when that's yeah. when the hammer falls. And as an example, economically, is one of their largest interference ploys. So we've been trying to monetize our channel since two thousand and eleven. And still have not been able to, even though we've never had a strike. And our our approval rating overall is 97%. And in the last couple of years, it's it's 99.8%, I believe. So we have many videos with like zero dislikes. And we have no no negative comments. And, and YouTube uses those things in the interaction to decide where you fit on their ladder. But regardless of our statistics, it's been literally 10 years we have never been able to monetize our channel. Um, even though Google bought the company AdSense and we're, we're 100% green on everything and it even says enabled, YouTube will not finalize a single step, the one step to, to click it off. Like in our analytics, they even gauge our revenue and everything, which is always at zero, but they're running it because it's <laughs> active, but it stays at zero regardless. And when we tried to inquire, even legally, they just say you're not a member of our partner program. Well, okay, everything's done, you know. So it's one of these things where a single step in inter- can can do that. So we're blocked from memberships, from um, certain types of, of of commenting like the super chat and things like that that help other people gain and get larger. And this is where I see like interference. That kind of interference doesn't happen to David or to Steve. Um, they're free to monetize the channels, which they are, and and that helps them get along, you know, and it allows. Uh, like when you do your memberships or super chat or any of those things, your community grows exponentially and it allows for collaborative efforts. And these are things that have just been like the door's been just shut 
on KX. Even though I've done everything on the planet to try to push us through doors, um, it very seldom gets picked up. And when it does, like some of our discoveries in Egypt, I tossed one out. And that is, it is up for interpretation. It is certainly not what they determined it was. But um, as soon as I made it public, it was picked up by the woman who had the show Pyramid Code, which is extremely popular. Everyone trusts mm-hmm. what she says. Her name is Carmen Bolter. Well, she took and actually visited the site in Egypt and then made a declaration that it wasn't what it, the base of it is and called it like the Venus Temple and added it to her tour thing and all this. But by doing so, what it is is by doing what they did, they, they devalued the site. Um, when it's a single component of a massive network that I discovered all over Egypt, um, and which are some of the lost locations, let's say the nine locations that were lost to Osiris or whatever, some of those are those. They're extremely important. But they break that, they, they, they how would I say, they break that historical context and, and, and um, uh, well, I would say it's, it's, it all goes together in one single lump, let's say. So when you separate a single site and you, you throw a bunch of disinformation about it and then you call it something else and it takes it out of the realm of the whole picture. And so, but it's interesting to me that, that instead of our stuff being picked up, let's say by a bunch of these anomaly sites and everyone getting talked about it and it going viral or anything like that, it skips all that mid zone goes right to the top to a TV show that's already been on 10 years and has a huge voice. And then they declare it's nothing before it can ever be brought into the limelight. And so it's interesting to me that, that these things don't get picked up by the small time or the mid level, but they absolutely get picked up by the top who can then reinterpret it to a massive crowd that I just don't have. Now the channel we're talking about is, is Robert's uh, YouTube channel. It's KX. Crider Exploration, and that's on YouTube. Um, I would encourage you listeners to please go there, subscribe to his channel, and uh, check out all the videos he's got on there. There is a, a lot of information on some yeah. very and, interesting know, things on there. And it's extremely limited. I haven't done much work. We, we responded, basically, the whole YouTube thing came about in a response to the Bigfoot information that was being posed in 2010. And I got frustrated with it. And um, decided to enter that realm and then do the serious research and answer some of the questions people were having. So we were literally one of the first um, active research teams out there actually getting answers. But you'll notice we we never we didn't climb like the others did. We did initially for a, for a start until we got involved with Oxford University. And then it started to go downhill from there. And um, and that, that's interesting to me, too, that, that it, you know, like I said, we get picked up by the biggest and then we get reinterpreted, the work. So it becomes less than meaningful, you know. Um, but a lot of the stuff we have not put on YouTube um, simply for that reason, because we, we, I was waiting to gain momentum to build a vehicle big enough to haul this load to the people, so to speak. And what they do is as I'm building the vehicle and putting the front wheels on, they're letting air out of the back tires and then, and it goes back and forth and back and forth. Well, the vehicle never becomes big enough to do what I wanted it to do. And people say, well, why don't you just put out the information now? And the reason for that is because the people with the larger platforms with the huge audiences tend to grab that stuff for their own benefit. And then they misinterpreted it all. So, so the truth still isn't getting there. So, it doesn't help 
you know, my objective is to bring this to the people and get the understanding to them, but it serves no purpose if each time I do these great platforms, take it and reinterpret everything to where they lose the meaning. So I'm, so we're almost stuck between a rock and a hard spot. We are awaiting to dump a massive amount of information and on, and we're doing it slowly now through YouTube. We're beginning to reveal a little bit, but like, you know, the fines in Egypt and things like that, I really don't have the ability to produce those the way they should be done. Um, which is also a difficult position because I can, I can put out the information, but what it means, its relevance and, and its impact uh, will largely be lost with my inability to produce those things at that level, I should say. You're talking from the standpoint of producing a documentary or. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even, even just a simple YouTube uh, production mm-hmm. because it, it takes a lot. I'm not an editor. I do my own editing and, and people said, Oh, I like your editing, whatever, but it takes an, it takes me an immense amount of time. I do a lot of cheating cause I don't understand most of the systems. Um, so it's extremely labor intensive to try to get information out in that way. Um, and with the Bigfoot stuff, it's relatively easy. It's exploratory. It's, it's, um, iterative design, iterative methodology. And that's, I can just let people go along for that ride, but trying to show them the bigger pictures on, on the more, I would say not more important, but the large, the finds with much larger gravity. Um, those things take a lot more complex explanation, comparative graphics, um, and things like this that are just at this time beyond my personal ability to, to do that. You know, I, I could just concentrate on just editing and become an editor and all this, but then there goes the other part of me that's consistently doing the research and the evaluation and and all that. So it's, it's two different things. So, so going back to, um, this, uh, this cache of, uh, um, of evidence and information and, and, and answers to, to questions. And, and I guess let's, let's kind of start tapering into the, the, uh, the Sasquatch topic. Um, you said, you know, there was a, there was a, a dump of information in 2010 and that's what kind of got you, uh, rolling into this. I remember seeing, it might've been in one of your videos, might've been in another one of your interviews where you, you, kind of pose the question about whether or not people should know the truth. And it was maybe from a standpoint of if, if we were told the truth about this, then, then people all over would start questioning the truth of other things. Right. And, you know, and I start, it, when I heard that, it, it kind of it kind of took me to this uh, this recent uh, attempt by the the government to um, I want to call it a very very soft disclosure on on the topic of UFOs UAPs. Yeah. Um, you know, I, it, the timing of it was immaculate. They 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 come out during you know, this worldwide pandemic and, you know, they release a couple of videos and they're leaked and then they're officially, the government officially says that, yep, these are real. Um, and, and it's like a, it's like a fart in the wind. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was, it the was, only thing they're going to tell you is what they figure you already know. That's why there's no impact. And and it was really, you know, I mean, when they said they were going to have the uh, the congressional disclosure and they were going to release the all the papers and everything, you know, I never had any expectations that there was going to be much come out of that. And, well, and there, 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 there was, probably would have been, but you forget the or the people who initialized that are no longer in the administration. So mm-hmm. the same people who demanded it are not those they had to fulfill it to. So you had basically a group of representing people who wanted a certain quality of information. They were out the door. So the following administration didn't, wasn't that concerned with the quality of information the people were going to glean. And so I believe everything was immediately, you know, what it was is you got a hundred the original orders, you got 180 days to tell us what you know about that enigma. Um, And obviously they didn't do that. They get, what they did was they filtered that into in 180 days, we will release some information on our, on our position about the enigma. And And, so what a total of 114 yeah, yeah. And 114 junk, cases? Yeah, and junk cases to beat that. I mean, we have three in there that are that are decent, and even those are some of the lesser. I mean, and, and I mean, some of us had seen those video clips two years before mm-hmm. they said, oh, yeah. we leaked them. Man, those were already out. Everybody's already seen them, at least two of them. I know everybody had seen because I'd seen them. Um, and so they weren't new. They didn't release anything that wasn't already released. I believe had the previous administration and those actors still been in play, um, we would have gotten more because I don't believe they would have settled for that because really they failed to meet the request. Um, but if there's no one there to chastise you for it, then, you know, why would you do any more? Right. So, uh, because they did, they failed to, they failed to, to produce what was actually being requested of them. Um, you, you know, do you think we've heard about as much as we're going to hear out of this realm? Yeah. I mean, when just before this, so they started to do some soft disclosure before they released it. And one of the things the Pentagon said was, yes, they had materials mm-hmm. that were not of this earth. Okay. Now materials, meaning processed materials, metal alloys. Right. Now, if you say they've, they had already admitted that and that in itself was more, than anything they showed during the disclosure papers. Exactly. Yeah. Because that means not only do we, oh, we're, we think it's something cool, but we don't know what it is, blah, 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 blah. No, you actually got a piece of this thing, people. Um, that's, that's so far beyond what they showed in their disclosure. And that was just a soft drop when they were preparing to put something together, when they thought they were going to actually have to prepare something, you know, uh, coherent let's say and detailed right, yeah. and instead no instead we just get the same old you know anything you could have read off a ufo rag in the 70s it wouldn't it's the same stuff yeah so you know let's let's put this in perspective you know if 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 ufos are real and there's something piloting those whether that's a uh, they're being piloted remotely or rather there's a, a biological entity inside of them uh, we don't know. Um, I think some people know. Some people have had experiences that, that can answer that question. Absolutely. Uh, but when we get into the topic of Bigfoot, why why is there such... 
what would it do to the world to know the truth that there is another being very much like us living in this world? Um, it would basically begin the unraveling or disassembly of a historical and human context that has been delivered to us by a select group. And when I say that, you can, you can kind of look like this. So in most of the world, let's take India, for example, um, a history that contained people and crafts that could go to other stars are fully related throughout their entire history. Yep. It's not odd to them. Um, now let's go to um, let's go to Nepal, and when we talk about the Yeti as part of their history, it's not odd to them. Or we go to the Native Americans, and the Bigfoot is not odd to them, right? It's it's part of their world. Now what we do is we notice, okay, so most of the globe, the things that we now consider to be conspiratory or or fanciful, they were just part of the natural world until when and it was basically until the european doctrine took over the planet um and when i say took over the planet i only mean that much is say let's say you have longhow caves or you have let's say you, you got the largest cave in the world and everyone in your region um knows about the cave you know every local we all know about it we've all known about it. it's been here as long as we've been here right and then the world is hears of it and rumors of it and this and that but it's never recognized as discovered until, sorry to say, someone from one of the British academic institutions finds it. So you can have a Russian laboratory make a discovery, and it seems the whole world ignores it until it comes out of a London laboratory. Hmm. Now, when we talk about that, we talk about, so, so the British love to say they discovered everything, but just about everything they discovered was already known about. Right. <laughs> there was already somebody living there. You know, we discovered this new land. It's not a new land. It's just a new land to you. Right. So then we look at, okay, wait, they, not everything could have been possibly been new to them as well. I mean, they would have certainly had to have the same local lore as everyone else. And that's what they decided to make it. Now, that's because they wanted to tell you a doctrine, both religious and scientific. They never stopped. The thing they did was they took over what you call academia. So it, it, their academic voice is the only one being reported. So if we have a discovery and it contradicts that doctrine, the media just doesn't cover it. And it's not, this is not a new thing. This is something that goes back as long as the major families have been funding the papers. Um, and so what we end up with is their their rendition now we say so why would not why wouldn't we want to know about a bigfoot what would that do well it would it would thwart their rendition and like anything else if you pull one brick it out or one card out of the house of cards because it's it's a facsimile what they've been giving us has not got a solid foundation in reality it's a house of cards so if any one card especially a foundation card gets pulled the whole house comes down that's where their fear comes from um there's there are secrets that not just been hidden from us in the last 200 years or even 2000 years, but tens of thousands of years. And they've perpetuated the same secrets. And in so in doing so 
remained as a control faction, most of them through royal bloodlines um, or religious uh, cults, Mm -hmm. so to say, you'd say, so have remained in control of the planet. And they've been this way for eons. Um, It's like the whole flat earth thing. Well, the whole world knew the planet was a globe. Um, Aborigines in Australia, the Dogon, um, the Inuit, they all tell you the words of the globe. They all knew it. It was just a fact of life. But where did even the flat earth idea even originate? Uh, we start to look back and we find that it originated with the kings and the priests who didn't want anyone to think about what might be over there. Right. You just shut up and do your damn job. Get the taxes to the king. Quit worrying about it. And that's really the attitude we have even to this day. So anything that shakes that up. Now, when I say anything, I don't mean to think Bigfoot's a light thing in that. It's not. It's one of the heaviest, most pivotal things because it causes us to reflect through association so many different things. Um, Everything from the evolutionary process to the creation process to whatever those individualized beliefs may be. Now, there's not really much separation between, let's say, science and and most of the world's religions. Um, The argument comes from the interpretation of one side or the other. And then they build a separation based on that. And that's so they can tell you what everything is. They don't want you to know or be able to just willfully find out what it is, let's let's say. Bigfoot in particular, you're talking economic impact. Of course, that's usually what we think is number one. But in all actuality, the powers that be who keep this under wraps aren't affected by economies. Um, they're above the world economy. They're, you're not going to hurt them. So what are they? What are their money is older than God. (laughs) Oh yeah, and yeah. Matter of fact, they're beyond money. Um, So that's that's not what's threatening them. Now, the the monetary institutions that that would say prop them into power. Sure, it affects some of that, and that could cause them a scary thing. More so though, it's in the human conception and the questioning. That's what to be scared of because it won't stop at one thing. When the human mind starts to ask a question and it doesn't get a proper answer, the next thing it does is ask another question. So this is where you'll see the interference come into play. And it doesn't matter if it's Bigfoot, megalithic structures, ancient technology. It doesn't matter what it is. That's how they're going to react to it. They're going to react more the more potential impact it has. The reason we chose, one of the reasons we chose to do Bigfoot is I just said come off a massive treasure project let's say but what the treasure project did was it contained history that throws our history into the garbage and all the and all the physicalities of that the proof of that and i was stymied so bad by the monetary side the financial groups and everything we still have a lot of the material we have the study we have all that but we're never able to get that in front of the public like we wanted to because the impact and the gravity of, let's say, a massive amount of treasure being pulled, then you have the attention, you can tell the story. Well, we got sidetracked. Um, I began to go ahead and do the Bigfoot thing. One, because I was frustrated with what I saw out there. Two, is because I could be a hair in the powers at B's butt. Yeah, I could be a thorn in their soul, so to speak. Because what was happening to me was the suppression of that. And, and that, yeah, you can do anything you want as long as it's just for the value and no one finds out about it. But if you're going to go intend on changing the history, no, 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 that's not going to happen. Um, with Bigfoot, it's, it's another thing that is so important, but it's, it's not anything that anyone can gain a monetary advantage over my research, let's say. They can't hold a massive value over my head and tell me not to say anything about it. Um, and so... 
so we began to do this, but the reason we, we push it and we want everyone to know the factual parts of, of, of this thing and not the guesswork, like guessing is fine. Theorizing is fine, but let's create a solid basis that we have to work from and things we know. And then, then everything else will kind of fit into place and, and forming that basis, that solid ground is what the powers don't want. They, as long as it's stirred up in, in, in opinion and belief, then they're good to go. No problem. People will never agree on that. But the, when you the controversy, begin, they hide behind the controversy. Absolutely. They love it. And, and so that's where we see the, you know, a lot of Bigfoot TV shows refer to the Bigfoot as a singular creature. And that mm-hmm. brings it into the realm of the monster. That's not done on accident. Uh, Those shows so, are, you know, on so many different Facebook pages or uh, social media, whatever it, be, it would be, it, 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 it's confounding how many people still refer to it in a singular form. Yeah. It's like, my yeah. God, people wake up. What do you, <laughs> no, that's you just dra- grow out from a rock? Right. That's Frankenstein, Dracula and the werewolf. Yeah. That's, that's what they're doing. That's what the mentality of that is. That's what they attempt to do with that type of, and people don't notice it. Um, and some of the shows even that I like a lot that have been done still do that. Um, to some degree. And then they might later on propose the question, maybe there's more than one. If man, come on, it's just, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a little ridiculous. I mean, you know, it, 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 it would be funny too, but if it wasn't quite so ridiculous, yeah. um, probably the other aspects, you know, you have the religious aspect of this thing and religious doctrine and, and religion is the same way. Don't mess with it because right now you're paying into the tithe. Like we want you to, everything's mellow. Don't mess with it because we don't want to upset that system. In today's world, three days of an economic upset can make or break even a major corporation because everything is already sold out. It's already promised away. It's already, it's already been bought and borrowed against. Um, and any disruption at all in that throws massive, massive wrenches in the gears. And be- because the system now is so self-operating and self-generating and fast, um, that anything wrong with it can really screw things up for them. So it can really get into disarray. So we talk about the religious aspect. It's, it's the different ways people may begin to try to interpret and, again, ask questions within their own belief systems. It may eventually bring people to a commonality or a common ground where they b- can begin to see where a lot of religious belief systems have then been skewed. So it may offer clarity into some subjects. One of those being, let's say, human rights. So you'll probably also notice they're just fine if you want to call it a Gigantopithecus or a large ape right. yeah. remnant. They're fine with that. You can do that everywhere, but no don't, problem. Don't call them a people. Don't call them a people, and damn sure don't call them human. Now, this is something that I brought up a few times. Now, there's some big names in the Bigfoot world who keep going on the realm of big ape, this and that, and this, ape, and they never, ever go to they are human or even the human aspect, right? Mm-hmm. But we know through anthropology and anthropological sciences, based on what every single thing we know about a Bigfoot, um, they're human. And the main thing is they're a primate and they're bipedal. Yep. Um, that, out of 500 that, types that of primates, itself, the, that in itself makes them human. <laughs> that's right. That's all you have to do to be human. That's right. One form or another. Human thing, People think human means homo sapiens sapien, and it doesn't. Um, Neanderthalus was a human, Dinosaurus was a human, Heidelbergensis was a human, the Hobbit was a human, even Lucy, Astrolopithecus, was mm-hmm. a human, 
right? So <clears throat> when we look at that, God knows we could have two dozen kinds of humans. So that, that just gives an easy bracket. Oh, cool. Well, Bigfoot could just go into one of those and no, no big controversy. Um, so they don't want to go there. But it's funny to me that you have PhDs who tout, you know, uh, who tout, especially the ones who are professors in anatomy and things like that. <laughs> and then they're saying that they're not human. Now, that, that blows my mind because every scientist or anthropologist knows they, can't, they have to be full of it. Because you're perpetuating that, let's say, let's say a single video is real that shows a bipedal primate, and then not say, and then saying it's not human. That's just ridiculous. I mean, I, I can't imagine being an anthropologist and watching any of this happen, because the pros must seem absolutely as ridiculous as the most ridiculous amateur when they're making claims like that. So why aren't the pros relating true anthropological? understanding to the people why are they perpetuating that anthropology does not understand or comprehend the species as a human when it actually does if you read the curriculum the modern curriculum it talks about bigfoot in the anthropological curriculum it discusses bigfoot and it blatantly says if they exist they are human and they probably want to be left alone now when you're making statements like that in the anthropological curriculum, but then you have the bigwig professors in anatomy and anthropology saying, oh, no, it's a big monkey, Where, there's, a, there's a problem here. It's either they're incompetent and don't know, or they're perpetuating a mistruth. And protecting their job. Yeah, at the same time. And then what is their job? Who is really getting? Who are they really getting paid for? Right. I mean, you know, when you're on every TV show in the country, are you getting paid for by a university or are you getting paid for by production teams? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So when you've been on every production ever made for 30 years, what's your real job? Is your real job a professor or is your real job a TV personality? That's a good point. And when you're expressing views of a TV show and not the sciences, then who are you representing? And, and we have people just running with this information. And it goes everything from the physical evidence, like footprints and things like this. And I hear people, man, I've seen as many footprint of, I'm confident in saying I've probably seen as many prints of Bigfoot creatures as anyone alive. And, and what is being touted out there and said out there as doctrine is completely wrong. Um, and because of that doctrine, anything we promote or produce is said to be invalid no matter how much of it how much backup evidence and there's no evidence to support the doctrine so this is the part that all that continually gets me is when we're trying to show the reality of it what we have to normally fight is doctrine being put in place by people that should know better right um like science doesn't exclude anything science is not an art of exclusion. It's an art of inclusion until you see what makes what and what means what. Um, to simply say like, oh, well, that can't be real because the track's larger than 18 inches. What, what do you mean? What person declared that they're not allowed to get any bigger than that? And if they are, they're not real. I mean, and these are all, uh, everything I'm saying is things I've absolutely personally been up against with the individuals I'm referring to. Well, and these are um, the same people that are that took care of having the uh, um, 
the remains of giants removed from mounds and, right. and ultimately put in a basement somewhere. And uh, over the course of, what, 30 years, uh, they've, they've gone from being in, in newspapers across the country in, in the early 1900s to just being fanciful lore now. They don't agree. Right. I mean, and you can't see them. You can't. You can't visit them in a in a museum, and and see the the remains of a, a nine foot tall human. Right, and you know, even you even have uh, Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Um, and I don't have the quote in front of me, or I'd read it. But Abraham Lincoln spoke about the the uh, the civilization of giant people. Yep, the mound period. builders. Yeah. Yeah, the mound builders that laid within the mounds, you know, and he, he like literally acknowledges their existence and that they were within the mounds. Um, that's the president of the United States. So Honestly, I understand, maybe. you know, I understand why now you may not look at someone of that class's wording, but back then you had to really be somebody. Abe Lincoln wasn't just the average Joe. You know, you're talking about a genius, a brilliant, brilliant man who wasn't scared to go out on a limb. Um, who would not have spoke off his cuff. And, but here we just, what, just going to throw that out now? Because when? And that's, that's kind of what I want people to even pay attention to is when did these things become fanciful? Um, we're told that they were legend. We're told that they were just stories and fairy tales by our predecessors. But our predecessors did not see it that way. They did not re write it that way. They did not relate it that way. But that's how you mess up information. That's called counter disinformation. So I'm going to color that information. I'm going to color the disinformation, um, and I'm going to give. I'm going to leak that out. True information in a way that's either from a fanciful source or that steers the true information into fancy, and that's counter disinformation. Because they and, recognize the threat that that truth would pose. Yeah, yeah it's not going to go in the direction that they had planned globally. Um, and so, and part of the reason is this, and this is what I've said a lot and, and I'll continue to say it. If they're found to be human, which we already know they are based on terminology, um, then what about human rights? And it's not, oh, we should be worried about their rights so much as hey, what about a reflection of our own? You know, mm -hmm. um, can I live wherever I want? Nope. <laughs> can I drink water wherever I want? Nope. Can I literally live anywhere without paying somebody right. money or yeah. getting thrown in jail as a result? Can we live nope. life without paying taxes? No, no. And so, but you, then you have a whole race of humans who are. Now, like I said in the past, a slave doesn't sometimes know he's a slave until he sees a free man outside the fence. And then that's what it takes for him to wonder, wait a second, how come he's out there? What's out there? I don't see another fence around him. And then the concept of being free occurs. So in comparative analysis with a Bigfoot type culture, are we free? I think that's a rationale that does not, I do not, I do not think they want that rationale to arisen. That's a, you know, that's, why can't, a very, that's a very interesting perspective on it. And it, yeah, and it, it brings it brings it back to the creator and creation in a, in a sense like that with the religious aspect as well. Uh, if a creator created this for its creation to enjoy and experience, then how come everybody's telling me I can't enjoy and experience it? 
See, and then there's a natural example of a similar being in creation that is living what appears to be um, uh, an existent coherent with the natural order. You know, and it makes another, us question everything. And another thing that I've noticed, um, seemingly in the last three, four, five years, as far as the religious perspective on on these beings. Uh, they all seem to want to push for the the Nephilim relation, right? And and that puts that into a into a negative light because yeah. of the Nephilim were, you know, according to the Bible, were you know the offspring of fallen angels with breeding with human women. Yeah, you'll see you'll see an attempted tie-in to make them demonic. Exactly, um, and it's interesting because it does two things, and it, it benefits the powers that be on both ends. One, <clears throat> the Nephilim themselves; it changes the the literal definition of a Nephilim. Changes if we try to factor in the Bigfoot reality into them, and the definition of a Bigfoot changes if we try to factor in the related reality of the Nephilim. So people, and, and, and there's funny because a couple of the big, more growingly popular names and someone like you said, you mentioned Steve Isdahl and then before there's, you know, someone that he, he highly acclaims that, that perpetuates that. And, but what I noticed is that there wasn't enough research put into even what the Nephilim are or how they were, you know, the fact that they exist at all, let's, let's say, right. Mm -hmm. We know they exist from certain writings and, and those writings would first need to be carefully studied, certainly before you would say, Oh, well, the Bigfoot or the Nephilim. If you could even, if you could even get your hands on the original text. Right. Right. It hasn't been interpreted a hundred different times and, dumped down yeah. because uh, so many of us could not understand the way the yeah. uh, the text was written in its original form. Yeah, and so, and, and part of this, part of my understanding is gleaned, um, I didn't just read all this information, like most of this stuff I got before the internet was even alive and kicking, so it didn't come like in the same form. Um, and just recently, a buddy of mine passed away that we called a royal dad, and he was the personal apprentice and, and uh, prodigy underneath Zachary Sitchin. So he traveled the world with him, and he did it from when he was young on, all over the Middle East and Africa and uh, South America. Um, he was right there when everything was being done. He knew the whole story, and he could relate it offhand. He could relate the history as was recorded by the Sumerians offhand. I mean, he could just do it no problem. And his ha- being able to sit and discuss with him about the understandings that were related to what these things were. So when we talk about the Anunnaki, and then we talk about the Nephilim, and then and we look at biblical context is one, and then we have all the records of, of Samaria, so in Babylonia. So those texts talk openly and plainly about who they were, what they did, what happened to them. And then, of course, um, throughout stories that came down <clears throat> through Plato and others um, that originated in Egypt and in other places in ancient Greek or ancient Greece, they, they were also told to us and they were the same ones. So they were the Titans, right? They were the, the heroes or men of renown. They were the Kings of the earth. 
um, they initialized law upon man. They, they initialized law. They brought law to mankind and they enforced it upon mankind. They were not so much our saviors as they were our prison guards, mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, because they didn't care one bit about human beings and they didn't care at all about nature. So they wanted to be served. Right. And to conquer. Um, and when we look at a Bigfoot, what a Bigfoot is, and then we look at the Nephilim and only thing we know about the Nephilim is that they brought law and civilization to mankind. They brought farming, they brought agriculture, they brought writing, they brought all these things that separated us from the natural order. And their, their whole thing was to build empire and to conquer nature. Now, how anyone could ever come up and say, oh, well, the big, that must be the Bigfoot. <laughs> the what? They wanted to build cities and mine gold and conquer nature? Does that sound like anything of a Bigfoot? How did anyone make that correlation? Yeah. Yet, those that don't know what a Nephilim was will readily jump on it. And now it's become a huge bandwagon. And why would you do that? Because just like I said before, it just takes it down another avenue skews the truth, muddies the waters. It makes it that much more difficult to express and share the truth of the species with people. Um, you know, and then they also, you look at the Nephilim, well, there was many kinds of giants and not just recorded in the Bible. They were recorded by everybody. Um, you know, there's, I, I wish I, I could remember these in detail or had them in front of me, but there was one letter written by a king to another king. Hey, can you send some of your army over here? Because we have a giant that keeps sinking boats in the harbor. He keeps either trying to get in them for food or he sleeps on them and they sink. <laughs> um, and, and so when you have letters like that and things, that's not like just someone recording a fanciful idea. It's actually a letter written from one king to another where you got to help us get rid of this guy. Yeah. Um, you know, just matter of fact existence. Um, so why would we assume that, well, like even when we say giant, the word giant, why do we assume every single thing that was a giant had to be a Nephilim? When they were really not even considered giants, they were huge in stature. They were, they, they, and they were big, but they weren't the giants described to us um, as the biggest giants. Right. Um, so there's several types, even in the Bible itself. So I don't understand why anyone would just cut and dry it right there. You know, it, and then I talk about, I tell people, okay, so, you know, and a good, tall, accepted height on a Bigfoot is around 10 foot. Um, there's been so many, and we've seen them that big. We know they're that big. We know they get even bigger than that. And what we look to people and say is, so what do you consider a giant? You know, really? Would you consider a 10-foot beast? Yeah, he's damn big, man. They're really big. You, you know, you imagine what a true 10-foot would really look like. It's huge. 12-foot is just uncomprehendable. Um, now, it's, it's our own perception of what a giant is when we fit a being like that into it. Because now, if you take an honest look at Denisovan, you're going to see they were 10 foot tall. Um, the molars are twice as big as ours. Twice. Two times the size. Um, so are the jaw fragments. So you're talking a, 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 human, a human that could make fine art, that could work very hard stone to a nano polish that with rudimentary tools. So what we're talking about is highly artistic and highly skilled, highly in, intelligent, highly intelligent living in conjunction with nature without trying to conquer it. Um, now, when we look at something like that, why don't we go there for Bigfoot? 
or to any other assumed <clears throat> ancestor of a human. We tend to go to this real crazy fanciful realm because a lot of people don't know about Denisovan. They, when they do, they don't know that they were that big. You know, whoever has told us that Denisovan was that big or that Heidelbergensis was about that big. They don't like to, because our scale of evolution, look, they're still trying to propose that you started a, right. you know, a four foot <laughs> chimp and then you go up to the tall guys. Yeah, no, we're not the five. tallest. Yeah, we've gone down, man. There were seven, eight and 10 foot humans running around not that long ago as far as historical uh, relation goes. So why in the world do we need Nephilim as an excuse for this? What it brings up to me is, okay, what was the real motivation in ever introducing that idea? And it's one thing to throw a theory out, but then to try to be so boisterous as to say it's based on any type of research, when anyone who goes behind that and does the research will find that's just not true. But so many of us aren't doing that, right? We, we're taking the popular voice and the book from this guy and the book from that guy, and whatever he says the history was, they're believing it. They're not going to do the due diligence. So really what we need is people out here, hopefully us as one, that people can trust. If we come up with an idea and we tell you something, it's because there's a factual basis some way or another. There's a historical uh, information. There's, there's physical evidence. There's something. But there's a good reason we're going to tell you this. It's not because, oh, we think this and that, you know, and, and we didn't do our research, you know. And, but that's what I'm seeing. And I'm seeing the biggest platforms out there are all like that. They're regurgitating ideas is what they're doing. So, so you started your research on Bigfoot in 2010. How long did it take you? And, and I'm, not, I'm not asking you if you were a, a knower or a believer uh, at the time that you started, but from the time your investigation started, your research, how long did it take you before you had adequate information in hand that this was beyond a doubt, 100% real? Um, we already had that before 2010. So we just came public and entered the entered the field in 2010. I got you. Yeah. So we like uh, we got our first good video of a big male. We called Harry in 1994, 95. I forget what month that was there. Well, let's and um, let's start yeah. talking about some of the uh, some of the the proof that you have. That I mean, I'm I'm not asking you to to give away anything that you're you're you know you're afraid to. Uh, to announce, but, um, tell me, tell me what you can, as far as, as far as the, the hard firm evidence that you have and, and how you've gathered it. Um, well, the same basically as any other study of any other species without having a body. Um, so as far as evidence goes, you know, it's the standard, what you'd imagine, you know, everything from, from the trace evidence, like, uh, prints, you know, digging evidence, food gathering evidence, um, collaborative hunting, things like that, to uh, the physical evidence in every single form. Um, so, and when I mean that, I don't mean um, we have one of their bones, but we have tissue, we have hair, we have bite imprints, we have material with saliva, we have defecated material, um, and all that directly from the beings themselves. Um, and then, of course, most of this is collected with corroborating evidence. In other words, we may have a, 
a hair specimen off a, off a, off a subject that we were pursuing that left hundreds, perhaps tracks, um, and the hair, um, and, and all the above in, in a single, you know, study session to where, you know, um, that's why when we, when we talk about proof and at least in our, our position is because we are gathering and quantifying the evidence together at the same time. Um, so we'll see a Bigfoot. We'll potentially photograph a Bigfoot. Then we will go find their tracks, recover their hair, recover their feces, see where they went, how many there were, and what they did. And we'll record all that. And so that's what we have basically is, is, is a, a terabyte and a half of that type of collected quantifiable evidence that in any scientific, in any scientific window whatsoever, um, it's going to be the full picture. Um, and I don't mean every single detail, but I mean detail from every single aspect of a study and it's repeatably repeatable and quantifiable. And so we can often go out and, or I can often predict where a group or a subject will be go track and find that subject um, predicted with, and we do it with 80 to hundred percent results. Um, so in science, you can have a, a result and it doesn't prove anything. And then you repeat the process and see if you get the same result. And then you do that over and over and over. And all science that we know, every fact we know was gleaned in that manner. After a certain point, it becomes statistically impossible for it not to be proof. Mm -hmm. And that's why I say when we have proof. So we have, we have, you know, we have in our possession, of course, the physical proof and, and the trace evidence. And then as well, though, we have the quantifiable uh, collaboration of all that and, and other information to go with it. And then you have photographic and video evidence as well. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes all the above, I mean, everything, you know, um, when I, anytime I've ever shown a picture, even if it was blurry and said, there's a Bigfoot, it's because we knew the Bigfoot was there when we were taking the picture. Mm -hmm. I've never in our history found one in a photograph and said, look, here's a Bigfoot because I don't know what that was. Um, oh, I can go back. You just took a picture and then, Oh shit, I got a Bigfoot in the picture. And I didn't yeah, know. Exactly. I got exactly. Um, we knew where they were standing when we took the shot. We, we could see them when, we, when the shutter clicked. Um, that's everything I've ever shown was like that. And there's been plenty. I mean, we see stuff all the time in our pictures that, wow, that's amazing. That could be, and some look identical. But, you know, we go back and look and test and see what that was that made that. And sure, sometimes it's not there. But I can't tell you it was a Bigfoot. I can't even tell you it was anything. All I can say is the two photographs are different. Um, but that's like I said, that's not the way we operate. We don't, we just don't do that. So when you got a Bigfoot screaming at you from 500 feet away and or a thousand feet away and he's yelling at you and you can see him and you take the picture and then the picture is not clear. Um, it doesn't matter. I still put that picture up and say, there's your Bigfoot mm -hmm. because I was looking at him when I took the picture and he was screaming at me, <laughs> what do you, <laughs> you know? And what do you, what do you think the likelihood is of, of your evidence, um, being seen by the mass public and, and how, how do you see that happening? I don't know. It's a crapshoot. I mean, it's a crapshoot. Um, 
I can, there's no way I can predict how, how any of this is going to play out because we've already try, been trying to put this evidence out and put the understanding out for so long and run into so much interference from the subtle to the extreme. Um, I don't know how confident I am that all this will ever make it out. Um, you know, I've, I've had the pro in the field tell me, you know, well, it's all good, but have you ever tracked them out to the end? Well, yeah, we have. And we've come to, and then they say, well, then that's the only time you're going to know. Well, right. We did that. What do you want? You know, well, have you ever collected in a manner that's quantifiable to where you know what was what? Well, yeah, absolutely. All of it is, but they still don't want the data. They want to, they want to try to out qualify it out of acceptance, but to actually go into it, they just don't want to do that. Even the big pros in this field. So it's left to us to try to, formulate or format this in a, in a, in a way that can be comprehensively ingested by the masses. That's tough enough as it is, but to get it, the word out is far, 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 far tougher. So what we're offering is kind of a kernel of reality. And it's like one sand on the grain or one grain of sand on a beach of supposition. There's a whole world flooded with supposition. How do we get the reality to stand out amongst that? Um, and that, that, that's a tough part. I, I seriously don't even know how to do that at this point. Yeah, and that's a, it, it's a shame that it's got to be that difficult. You know, back in, uh, what did they release it in 2012? The uh, Sasquatch Genome Project. Uh, yeah. Melba Ketchum's effort with mm-hmm. the DNA. And I've, I've fairly recently I heard a, a gentleman who was discussing it and it didn't sound like he had much bias. Um, he seemed to be speaking more from the aspect of somebody who read it and was able to tell where they went wrong. Um, and, and that when everything, when everything happened with that report where, where they got, you know, stonewalled and, 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 and the whole, the whole, uh, shit show that went around with that. Um, I was, I was firmly in the, in the belief that, yep, this is, they are, they're being shadowed down They're This is a major effort to keep this information and discredit it and anything they can do. Um, but after listening to that guy and again, it didn't appear that he had any bias. It didn't sound like he had any bias. He didn't approach it from that. He could have been very good at what he did and, and ultimately achieved what he wanted to. Um, but what's your opinion on the, on the whole genome project? Well, I, I'll, I'll take it to a cut and dried realm. So for one, to start with, um, I was involved with some of the people that were involved in gaining evidence for the study. Some of the evidence that was submitted was absolutely what it was. There was no question what it was that was being submitted. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the results of that, regardless of what they turned out to be, came off of one of these types of creatures in that study. Okay, so there's a base. There's a base. Um, another base I have is in reflection is working with Oxford on the collateral hominin or collateral hominid uh, research project. Um So I I got to learn a great reality during 
part of that. And that allows me to have a little different view of the Erickson study, the Kessler that, study. That's, that's the second time you brought up Oxford. Uh, yeah. And, and I'll, and I'll, I'll go into that because it, it greatly clarifies and it gives somebody a way to look back at the Erickson Ketchum study. Now, uh, some, I know some facts about that that most people are completely ignoring. So it's not even the study itself that declares whether or not we should put it into question. It's not the data in the study. It's not how it was achieved or anything else. It's the simple process that took place that really, really shines a light on this stuff. Why? What they say is the only problem they ever had with them, really, was that they self-published the study. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not true, by the way. They did not do that. Um, the study was published before they bought the journal. The legal department in the journal are the ones that determined that it wouldn't happen, that it wouldn't go through. Really? So they, so I'm sorry about that. So the, the, but it was the, the decision was made by a legal department. It was not made by a scientist. It was not made by the journal itself. It was not made by anybody except a lawyer is the one who instructed the journal back up. Do not publish this. Then is when the Erickson team got upset and purchased the journal. It had already been peer-reviewed, approved, and published. It just hadn't gone through the final channel. But it had gone through everything internal within the journal until it got to the legal department. What I want you to and the, and the listeners to comprehend from that is who in all that big DNA study, tons of scientists, science, the world academia, and everybody else, who's the one that decided if it was valid and worth publishing or not? Did academia? Nope. Did a scientist? Nope. Did anyone that knows anything about biology make that decision? No. A lawyer made that decision. A lawyer. That's who decided what you and I and the rest of the world get to know is true or is false. A lawyer. That doesn't seem quite right, does it? No. And it's also, what does that do to our argument about the Erickson study and its validity? What does that do to that? What people are arguing isn't even the point worth arguing. It, they're saying that the study wasn't valid because of the way it was published or not published, blah, 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 blah. No. It's ignoring, it had nothing to do with ignoring the evidence. All right. Yeah, completely. The validity of what was proposed isn't the question here. It's the impact and the potential impact it would have had. That's what made it worthy or not worthy. So anyone can debate all they want to in the details. That's not where the cause came from. And when other genomists around the world repeat and get the same results she did, that says something. Why are they being ignored? And this this occurred. This is quite a few. On our website, we have, matter of fact, on our cryptid section, we have very little posted um, as of yet. But we do have the Genome Project, and we have resources to follow up to other science that was done to back that up. And these are international. These are not this few that's supposed to be in the know. Um, and that does bring the Oxford, the Oxford study in. So um, on that one, that was, that was an, that was actually to quell the suspicion of realism on the Erickson study. That's why they did that. They did that as a follow-up. 
to kind of prove or disprove is that it could this be real or, or couldn't it be we'll do the final word because we're oxford yeah and everyone just swapped their idealism over them waiting to see now we know for a fact i was involved in it we were requested by oxford we were contacted we were requested to get them specimens which we did um and it's interesting because the whole way that study went down is very telling to even the interference and in how the Erickson study is interpreted. Um, because I'll just say it point blank. The people were absolutely lied to by the representatives of that study, of the, of the, of the Oxford Luzanne study, um, which was much, which was done by much higher accredited individuals in better facilities. Matter of fact, the finest genetic lab on earth in the museum of zoology in Luzanne did the work. Um, and so it should have been the comprehensive final answer. And it's interesting, man. There's a couple of real quick details. I'll, I'll go ahead and spout them real fast that are very interesting, but it makes a person question the whole deal. First off is in the medical industry to get something peer reviewed, you pay a doctor off and they approve it. <laughs> okay. So a lot of times they don't even read the study and they admit they don't even read the study. So that's just how things are, how easily you can get something peer reviewed and, and published. Okay. So now it comes into the, the premier uh, all-answering study that, that's going to be done by Brian Sykes in Oxford. They contact us. We give them a sample. They test the sample. They contact us back that it did not have a follicle, so they couldn't collect DNA, but it's definitely from an unknown species. That's really important right there because they qualified out everything known to determine it was from an unknown. Okay, so it's been qualified. We have an unknown. So what they did was... They told us, and now if people remember, the study was supposed, results were supposed to come out in February, and they didn't. That's because in February, early February, they contacted us and said, hey, can you get a specimen off a living creature? In other words, like um, fresh, still hydrated, mm -hmm. something that was right now. And I told them we'll try. So it took us two months to do that. And along with that, um, we, which was witnessed by an archaeologist, a 10-year veteran of the U.S. Forest Service, and some others, um, witnessed the collection and all the exploration. And, and we were able to also provide not just the hair, but the position of the hair, which would have made it impossible for a human to have contributed, blah, 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 as well as over 170 feet print, hand prints, bite prints, or bite impressions, um, and witness testimonial of the subject that we're getting the hair from. We had all of that. And when we collected it in a hermetic way and then we actually did our sample transfer into their packaging inside of a sealed um, or a, a positive pressure hermetic cabinet um, so that there could be absolutely no contamination and everything was videoed across every single time it was touched or anything it was on videotape and what we we're doing is is proving that the trace of custody was intact right that there was no chance of contamination whatsoever and we were able to get a hair that still had a hydrated follicle maybe 15 minutes off the subject about a seven-inch long gray hair, which fit the missing teeth of the large individual. It's a large older one, blah, blah, blah. Um, 23-inch feet. Uh, hands that Christ. Hands that, when the palm's all the way open, it's 16 inches from the tip of the pinky to the thumb and uh, 15 inches in length from the back of the palm to the length of the index finger, and the palm was eight inches wide. How tall was um, this? We don't know. We didn't. I did. We never. We couldn't scale height because we weren't looking at him in, in a way that you could see him. Um, but when we when we other ones we have looked at at that height were right at about twelve foot with a twenty three inch foot. 
Jesus Christ. And then, and those we have measured and scaled. So, and you're talking a 20 inch foot would be 10 and a half to 10 and a half to 11, something like that. So, uh, foot tall. So, regardless, so we, we submitted this second sample, of course, with a CD of the full trace of custody, everything correct. It went in. We didn't hear anything back from them. We didn't hear anything back from them. Now, they actually held that study two full months. You can imagine, this is a, glo- this is a study the entire globe was waiting on. Mm-hmm. And they held it just for that specimen for two months. So we sent it in. They got it. We're waiting the results, waiting the results. Results didn't come for months later. And everybody's wondering what happened. They were supposed to have this out in February. Um, that was kind of telling in itself. But when Brian Sykes, the, the guy that headed that study for Oxford, came out to the Associated Press and dropped to the AP the results of the study, the moment he said they identified polar bear hair, I don't care if it was extinct polar bear or not, um, wolf hair, fox hair, and all this stuff, man, we knew right then this is done. It's over. Because what we know about the study is this. Not one sample should have been tested from a known animal. That was part of the the project. That's how the project description goes. Is first, all the samples will be qualified, right? That means compared against known species. And only unknowns will be tested. Right. So right there, they lied to the whole planet. Were the first couple of sentences he said, they lied to the whole planet because none of that would have been tested. It makes them out to be the most incompetent fools in the world because someone even in, in base zoological courses could identify a bear hair, a fox hair, and things like that. They're easy to identify. A, a biologist can just look up a, a, a a, a hair form, a scale form, and just compare them and know immediately what that is. Um, and a human, same thing. So why did they test any of them? Well, they did it so they could release results that weren't the results. So it's interesting that they reported that out of everything tested, they had no unknowns. Well, the first sample we sent in came back unknown. Um and then they, t- they said that all, sam- all submitted samples were tested. Man, I got a letter from Brian saying the second sample we submitted has not been tested, was not involved in the study. It was being curated for further study at the Museum of Zoology in Lausanne, Switzerland. Wait a second. They held the study for two months to get that specimen. And then they didn't use it? They said they didn't use it. And they said it's yeah. still being curated. One thing with DNA is you don't want to curate it. If you can, you want it right now. The fresher it is, the better chance you're going to get something off of it. Why would you ever stick it in a box? You wouldn't. And I guarantee you they analyzed it because they told the world that they analyzed every specimen. So, I mean, they lied across the board in every way they could, and they never mentioned that they had an anomalous unknown that they had waited two months for that was sitting awaiting study. They never told anybody anything. Now, we have a video out on the YouTube channel, and it is it shows the feet print, it shows the hand print, it shows the hair collection, it shows the hair transfer in the cabinets and everything else, and it also uh, shows you the sample submission number. You know, what people should do is go watch that video and go write Brian Sykes and write Oxford and say, hey, where's that specimen at? Why wasn't it tested? Why did you say all the samples were tested? And if so, how come the results of this one were not included? And then why in the hell did you ever test uh, a polar bear and anything else like that? Are you guys not competent enough to qualify hair before to see if it's anomalous? 
So you see, there's so many problems with that. And that tells you, that gives you a good reflection to what the effort that would be gone into to uh, invalidate or, or to, you know, it's, it's, it's not even that it's, yeah, it's, and it's beyond that. It's almost to make a, such a mockery as to say that, Hey, they were pulling your leg. You know, they just didn't do bad science, but somebody really pulled your leg on this whole thing. And, and, but what we really see is in, in relation to that is academia is the one pulling the legs. You know, you have, when, when you look at, at uh, the Erickson study with Ketchum, what benefit in the world did they ever have to do what they did? You know, you go from being on top of your game, one of the highest respected in your field, mm-hmm. to being blacklisted and be a, be regarded as a complete joke overnight. And then during the process, just waste, uh, what, $500,000 of, of some investors' money just to uh, just just so you can lose your job. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, and I guarantee you there was 500,000 put just in in, uh, misinformation and bad promo in news agencies across the country and across across the globe. Um, They don't produce anything. That's all value. Everything has value. You don't put your production team in your studio working on a story and try to relate it and do all this investigative reporting and all this stuff. Man, that's big money. It's no joke. I mean, look what a 30-second TV commercial runs. And then you have them spending... You know, entire entire news segments and and all these other things just to discredit that. Yeah. So the effort the, that tells in itself, what if was it potentially valid? Absolutely. Or nobody in the world would have gone through a disinformation campaign. So that's sad. Rob, if you're okay with it, I think we're going to part here, and we're going to pick up again with a part two. And in that, we'll get into some of your more harrowing experiences with these creatures. All right. Yeah. All right, folks. Keep an eye out for part two. That'll be dropping next Tuesday. There'll be another hour and 30, hour and 40 minutes with my guest, Robert Kreider. want to hear your story i want to hear your experience so email me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com if you enjoy the show then leave us a rating and a review on itunes share the show with your friends share the show on social media make sure to like us on facebook And follow us on Instagram and Twitter. All at Uncomfortable Podcast. And until next week, my friends, stay uncomfortable.